To give drivers a break at the pump, President Biden proposed a suspension of the federal gas tax and urged states to follow suit by doing away with their own gas taxes temporarily. If that were to happen in Massachusetts, a gallon of gas could theoretically cost 42.4 cents less. Governor Charlie Baker jumped on the Biden bandwagon, but House and Senate Democrats are balking, saying there's no guarantee the oil industry would pass the savings on to consumers. So is a gas tax holiday a good idea or not? I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine, and I'm joined on the podcast by Evan Horowitz of the Center for State Policy Analysis at Tufts University. What's your take, Evan? Hey, Bruce, I, I'm, I'm worried there's going to be a super short conversation where I just say, no, it's not a good idea. And then we wrap it up and we uh, we move on. I, it, you know, I, I, I'm reluctant to be this definitive on most issues, um, but this is just one of those where. Yeah, there are all there are all manner of problems and far too few benefits. Well, let's let's unpack that a little bit, if we can. Um, so as someone who stares at the the numbers flashing by on the gas pump when I do fill up my car. Um, I sort of, you know, grit my teeth about it. And and there's an there's an appeal. I guess it's a political appeal about cutting gas taxes and and maybe seeing that price go down a bit. So what's wrong with that? Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad idea because the problem is fake. The problem is real. Gas prices are high. You know, that's not made up when people see the numbers turning over at the pump, as you say, um, that's not an illusion. People are, we are all paying more for gasoline when we drive, the price of oil is going up and lots of families could use relief, right? That's a very real problem. Um, part of the broader, you know, kind of supply challenges and inflation problem that, that the economy is dealing with. Um, but just because you've identified the right problem doesn't mean the solution you're proposing is the right solution. And I think that's where things, things go wrong here. Um, so it's one thing to say, lots of people could use relief and gas prices are too high. How do we address that? And quite a different thing to say, the right way to address that is by eliminating either the federal or the state gas tax or both. Um, I mean, the, the first reason, uh, as you say, is that, well, there's no way the price of gas goes down 42 cents, right? So you get to that 42 cent number, the, the federal tax is something like 18 cents and the state tax is something like 24 cents. So you get rid of both of them and you, you end up somewhere in that range. But if you eliminated the tax, both, let's, let's say theoretical world tomorrow, the feds eliminate it and the state eliminate the gas tax. Oil companies, gasoline companies, they're going to they're not going to drop their price that much. They're going to capture some of that. So prices are going to end up somewhere in between the current price and that current price minus 42 cents. And there's been a lot of research on this. But the basic evidence is that the more supply constrained things are, the more they're going to capture. So if you're in an environment where they can't really raise output that much, the refinery capacity is at max or you know, Russian oil isn't getting into the market, things like that. They capture more of that. So price drops less and less. So the greater the supply problem, the less the price drop, the less consumers benefits. The first big problem is consumers aren't gonna see as nearly as big a price drop as you want. They might not see much of a price drop at all. So uh, I'm a little familiar with Connecticut, which did eliminate its state gas tax. And again, this is purely anecdotal driving around in Connecticut. But you know how gas stations, I, I have in Massachusetts, I have a bunch that I know have cheaper gas routinely. Like Yeah, you have your favorites, you rely on them, yeah. 
And, and then there are others like mobile that just seems like astronomical prices at all times, no matter what. Um, so the averages that you see in AAA and what have you, I don't really put a lot of stock in them because I tend to try and go to the cheaper places unless I can't. And I see in Connecticut too, that the cheaper ones did drop more when they cut their gas tax. Mobile didn't drop as much. It maybe dropped a little bit. Uh, but for reference purposes, I just looked it up. The current AAA average for, for each state. And so Connecticut, where it eliminated its, I think, 25 cent state gas tax, the, the average price is $4.89. In Massachusetts, it's $4.95 or $4.96 rounded up. So like you said six or seven cent difference yeah yeah less so than yeah half. and i think that's what the research says it's not that nothing would end up being passed on to consumers um but something in between and probably not that much uh so yeah and even when you think about it you know it's frustrating to look at the price of gas and know this money is coming out of your pocket but gas prices actually dropped last week 13 cents or 14 cents something like that just because of the movement of international oil prices. And, you know, that's a bigger effect than the one you're pointing to. Um, so in some ways, the volatility of oil swamps uh, whatever effect you get from the taxes. Uh, it just, I mean, I think there's a reason though, and we should say this, there's a reason that the Biden administration still endorsed this policy. It's not because he's surrounded by people who think it's a great economic policy. It's because he's surrounded by people who know it's good politics. People are hurting and you want to demonstrate that you hear them, that you care about them and that you're doing something, right? There's a sort of like something needs to be done. This is what I'll do. Therefore, I'm doing something. Um, and that's a kind of valuable political argument, but it doesn't mean that the something is a is necessarily a great thing to do or will have much of an effect on people's pocketbooks. I mean, compare it to just distributing money to people, right? Like it's, it's very different to say, well, you know what? You could save six cents, eight cents, 10 cents, whatever it is, a gallon on gasoline, which probably adds up to dozens of dollars every few months, not hundreds of dollars. Um, that's okay. And the greatest benefits go to drivers. And it has this other, well, we'll pause for a second on this. I'll come back to it. This other effect where it's actually incentivizes more driving. Um, but instead of that, you could just say, you know what, let's, let's just send $100 to all low-income families. You know? And then you get the people who aren't driving, you don't change the incentives. So like, there are lots of ways to address the fact that, yeah, prices are going up and it's bad for people. Um, this one is sort of not very effective. You know, uh, that's a really good point. Uh, and yet, I do sort of get warm and fuzzy when I hear uh, politicians talking about I'm going to do something that affects your daily life, um, which is not very common. I, I find most of them are off talking about policies and tax breaks or whatever that really don't affect me. And I, I so I do sympathize with a politician who's trying to say, we're going to try and do something that touches your daily life. Um, yeah. And, and that's certainly what they're thinking. They're thinking people feel this. They see it. For most people, this is what inflation means. Inflation looks like rising gas prices. So, you know, we have this broad kind of macroeconomic problem. We can talk about it in wonky terms and we can talk about the Federal Reserve. But for most people, it means kind of rising gas prices, rising prices at the grocery stores, like things that they see every day and pay for every day. And the most direct political response is let's deal with those things. 
let's let's deal directly. Let's not talk in wonky terms about how we deal with you know global supply chain problems. Let's talk about making groceries cheaper. Let's talk about making gas cheaper. And you know you could really see the political appeal. So I, I agree with you. It's, I mean, on the, on the one hand, it sounds like a political winner. On the other hand, it can't be much of a political winner because Biden's not getting support from Congress people in his own party. Uh, people are, you know, legislators in the state aren't jumping on board with it. Somebody knows something about how big a winner this is. They don't. They don't think it's actually that effective as a political message. And I won't beat this with a with a stick, but I'm I'm curious when this was first broached uh, in the state by, you know, the smattering of Republicans uh, at the state house. It was called the Democrats then called it a gimmick, a stunt. Um, and raised issues that they're no longer making, actually. They, they sort of said it would hurt the, the bond rating for, of the state, uh, uh, hinder transportation funding, bonding, and all that sort of stuff. And at each step, uh, you know, one group or another sort of refuted that it was going to hurt the state's bond rating. And, and they sort of backed off that. And then they settled on what you're talking about, which is that it won't be passed along. The oil companies will stick a lot of it in their pocket. And I let me ask you, I guess, let me ask you this way. If there was a way to strong arm or pressure the oil companies to pass it all on, if there was a way to do that, would this still be a bad tax policy or would it be okay? It would be a better tax policy. It would still be a bad tax policy, but it would be a better tax policy. And you could imagine a broader range of support for it. Um, the ongoing problem in that scenario basically is you're still creating an incentive for people to drive more, right? Like anything you're doing right now to lower the price of gas is saying, actually, don't change your habits. Drive more. We're going to help you. We're going to help you drive more. And that's a problem for two reasons. It's an immediate problem because the supply of gasoline is tightly constrained right now. Refineries are working close to maximum capacity. We know uh, oil production around the world is hindered by the war in Ukraine. So encouraging people to drive more is a problem because it runs up against a very, very real supply constraint, which is going to push prices back up. And the other is the broader thing, which is we're supposed to care about global warming. We're supposed to care about climate change. And part of the long-term approach to dealing with climate change is higher prices for fossil fuels and getting people to change their behaviors. So it's very unpopular, uh, get high gas prices. And in some sense, that's a tragic indictment of our commitment to global warming. It is, but I, th I think um, I'm not atypical in this. As you said, you know, prices go up and they go down and they're floating all around. And so most people, at least so far, I think, think this is temporary. This is not going to last forever. And so this is so I don't think it really changes consumer behavior one way or the other. Um, well, at the margin, let's say at the margin, you look at these prices and you think, wow, my car's getting old. I got to get a new one. Uh, gas prices are really high. I'm going to get an electric vehicle. So there are actually kind of lock in changes, even if even if gas prices went back down. You could make kind of more permanent changes right now that would affect your use of gas and oil. And I think a lot of people are. I mean, I think demand for electric vehicles has risen um, as with gas prices. Um, so there is a way to lock this in. But I think you're right. The fact that this is, you're also right, the fact that this is kind of perceived as a temporary phenomenon and may very well be a temporary phenomenon cuts against some of the kind of habit changes 
that we have. But but we live in a world where these kinds of habit changes are a lot easier than they were, like in the Carter administration, when they were trying to get us to change our habit. Well, those of us who are old enough to have uh, been in, alive in the Carter administration. But in any event, um, electric vehicles are real and viable in a way that they weren't. And that's totally new. And solar panels are real and viable in a way that they weren't. And working from home is real and viable in a way that it wasn't. Lots of things that were extremely difficult in a way of cultural shifts are a lot easier right now. Uh, and you could imagine, now this is totally theoretical, but you could imagine a very different response to high gasoline prices, which is to say, let's subsidize all the other stuff. Forget subsidizing gas right now. Let's subsidize electric vehicles. Let's, let's subsidize all these kinds of changes, uh, long-term changes. And that helps consumers and it helps the economy. And it's a, just a totally different way of thinking about what the problem is and, and how to address it. So step back a little bit from the gas tax issue. You've, you've dealt with that, discarded that. But what, so if, uh, I think you, you, you put out a paper on this recently. Uh, the state has a lot of money. As Governor Baker, when he said uh, we could afford to get, do a gas tax holiday, along with, a, I think, a $700 million tax cut package that he's proposed, what should what should we be thinking about as we try and return some of that to taxpayers? What what's the best way? Yeah, well, I think the, the kind of first principle in in the paper that we put out was it's not unreasonable to think that we should return some of this money to taxpayers. You know, we are in a situation where the government, the state government, is you know spending a decent amount on its priorities, is struggling to spend more because it is very hard to hire people. Right. If you're going to expand programs, you to hire people right now, it's very hard to hire people. So in a situation like that, where you can't hire people to expand your programs, it's very valuable to be able to say instead, you know, maybe we should give some money back to people. So that was the first thing. And then just what are the principles for this? Make sure the money goes to the people who need it. Make sure it doesn't affect the competitiveness of the state and make sure it doesn't dig a long term hole for the state. Like we have we have money today. Are we going to have money two years from now, three years from now, five years from now? Are we going to you know, maybe we make a tax cut that seems affordable today, but isn't then. So those are the kind of key principles. And there are lots of ways to do this. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw the attorney general um, in her in her status as a nominee uh, for governor released a tax plan, uh, which involves an increase and in a consolidation of the child tax credit. Um, this was on you know our list of, of possibilities. It seems like a good way to target money to families. Um, and so, I mean, I think that, that, that's one of the things that's being discussed. And I know on the business side, they're talking about sort of more kind of competitiveness issues, uh, changing the estate tax. Um, the estate tax has big problems. I mean, now's not a bad time to address it. Uh, so I think, you know, there are a lot of ways to get to a package here. Uh, and the big challenge is time. Well, you know, the clock is ticking on the legislative session and, you know, that, that's the big challenge. It, it, it is time. Uh, and I hate to th think about it this way, but I sort of wonder what's taking lawmakers so long because um it's not as if this issue just popped out of nowhere um the governor has been pushing it since his own budget i think he filed at the beginning of the year um and i'm cynical enough to think that maybe they don't want to do anything really they they sort of want to run the clock out um which is why i'm somewhat cynical about their statements about the gas tax but i i'm I, I could be convinced otherwise. They may come out with some package and push it right through. I find it very hard, this session and all sessions, to distinguish 
two cases. One, where they really don't want to do it, so they're dragging their feet. Two, where they really want to do it at the last minute. There are a lot of things that they actually want to do, but they want to do it very, very late for some reason. And it's hard to know, even now, even in June, the session ends at the end of July, how many of these things are on that first list? They don't really want to do it, so it's probably not going to happen. And how many are on the second list? No, 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 they want to do it. They just want to do it July 30th. Um, and I really don't know where you know, tax policy fits in there. Uh, I've had enough conversations with folks to know that they're serious about it, um, about thinking about it, but that doesn't mean they're close to a deal um, on the Senate and the House side. Now, one of the nice things here is that a lot of this can be done without too much debate. So some, sometimes, you know, when you're talking about a big policy change, you really, really have to think through every implication of it. Like, what are the unintended consequences? Are we sure we have our estimates right? You know, let's study this for a while, blah, blah, blah. With some of these tax changes, you're really kind of tweaking a dial in existing law and changing the amount of money going out rather than introducing new policies that would have unintended consequences. So like, if you take the child tax credit and you double it, you don't really have to like study that for a long time. You, you know how the child tax credit works. So you're sending out more money, but you don't really have to worry about unintended consequences. So some of these things can be done safely um, in very little time. The EITC is another of these things. Like if you wanna just, so that's the earned income tax credit. This is uh, a refundable tax credit for low-income workers. If you wanna increase that so that low-income workers get more money, you just change the amount of it. And that's relatively straightforward. And it is straightforward, which makes you wonder why <laughs> I think the Senate president recently said, yeah, we're looking at the estate tax, but there's gonna be some surprises in there too. Like this is something that we should be surprised about. Why, why? I don't know, but- um, yeah, I don't know what the virtue of surprise is in uh, <laughs> tax policy. Uh, the estate tax is a complicated one. So that's one where it would be nice to have a little more room for debate, to see a proposal, to say, actually, this proposal has this kind of kink in it. Um, because there are policies like that. You know, you're like, well, we'll, we'll make the estate tax slightly different. And then it turns out there are kind of people who are really badly hurt by the change or people who benefit disproportionately by the change. And unless you have time to read through it and think about it and model it, it's very hard to see that. And the estate tax is one of those things. Like there are lots of reasons to change it, um, but that's not a quick tweak. And one last thing um, I wanted to ask you, you said that you started off by saying in a broad sense, it is smart or it is worthwhile for the state to return some money to taxpayers. Um, but I'm wondering if some lawmakers sort of think, no, nah, we're, we're, we're better at spending the money than taxpayers are. Um, and that could be a reason why they're waiting so long because they're trying to sort of see if they have to do this or really need to do this politically or not. Oh, I think that's right. I mean, uh, I think there's a strong sense. It's not just lawmakers. I mean, uh, Mass Budget released a report that the Massachusetts Budget and Policy Center uh, last week, um, suggesting that maybe the state doesn't have as much money as people think, and that you know state spending is a is a viable, maybe a preferable alternative to to tax cuts. So you know, there are definitely so there are there are kind of left leaning um, research center, uh, and you know, so there are people the, there are people outside of legislature who think that too. Um, obviously, not, that's not my read, and I think it's kind of a question of you know, where you draw the line, like how much of this money should go back to people and which people should get it. And I mean, those are, I think, viable political questions, important political questions. Um, but I do think the state has come up, coming up against really fundamental limits in what they can spend their money on in the short term, as I say, partly because it's just, it's really hard to hire people right now if you want to expand a program. And, 
you know, maybe one thing they could do is update all their cost estimates. I mean, I would talk about this with inflation. Every cost estimate you have for every project in the pipeline is now wrong. I mean, they're all wrong. And they're wrong because everything has gotten more expensive, the labor in those projects, the materials in those projects. And, you know, I don't know if we've reckoned with that. So there are other reasons to keep the money like, well, actually, all, some of our long-term planning needs to be totally readjusted. Um, so, I mean, there are good reasons to keep money around for things like that and to rethink that. But, you know, I think it really is just a kind of political discussion, how much to give back. And as you say, it's been an open political discussion basically since Baker released his budget in January, um, but it doesn't seem to be advancing at the rate that I, I would have expected. Very good. Evan Horowitz of the Center for State Policy Analysis at Tufts University. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Bruce, I always love talking, so thank you for having me. We'll have you back again soon. And to our listeners, we'll see you next week. Thank you. <laughs>